Hi, welcome to Ghost Notes, the podcast where we talk about music from the inside and out. My name's Noah, but you probably know me as Polyphonic. And I'm Corey, and I make 12-tone, and today we're talking about albums. Should they exist? Do they serve a purpose? Noah, what do you think? Yes. Yes to both. Bold. Good podcast. (laughs) See you next month. (laughs) We're done. Take care. Yeah, so this is is in response to a, uh, or I guess it's not really in response but it was spurred on by um, a piece that you shared on Twitter the other day. Do you want to tell everyone kind of a bit about that piece? It was the New York Times music column. It was basically a document of a conversation between their chief editor and their pop music uh, critic. And in that, one of the things the critic argued was that albums weren't really necessary anymore. And he sort of described them as data dumps where you just put out a set of songs and then they sort of immediately get shuttled off into like playlists and other things, and they don't really have a cohesive structure. And so there's, he was arguing that we don't really need albums as a thing anymore. And I think there was a lot of pushback. I personally felt like there was a, a lot more truth to it than people were giving it credit for. But I also think it's a lot more complicated than it was presented as. I think a lot of people had knee-jerk reactions to what they were saying, because I think that there's a difference between saying... We don't functionally need albums anymore, and there's no point to albums. I think the former is probably true, but even then, I don't I don't really fully believe that. But I do think objectively, if you just look at how songs are released and how they're filtered into playlists and stuff like that, there's been a drastic shift in how we listen to music. But I don't think that means that like just because someone releases an album and people grab songs from that album and put them into playlists doesn't mean that there's no value to the album as a medium. One thing that I'd like to do early on here is sort of complicate the definition of album a little bit. Yep. Because I think that in a lot of ways, in these sorts of conversations, the two sides are sort of talking past each other because they're talking about two different things. And they're two things that have been strongly correlated historically, but they're not actually the same. And I think those are the album as an artistic form and the album as a model of distribution. Because when we say that like the album is no longer necessary. I would also actually quickly throw in there the album as a physical object, another thing that exists separate from all of those things as well. Oh, for sure. That's a really good point. But but I think like when we when we talk about like, oh, the album isn't necessary. If you go back to like the, the 60s and 70s, like the album is the most convenient way to distribute a large collection of music. Like singles existed. You could buy singles. But by and large, you were releasing albums because you had a bunch of songs and you didn't want to release each one on its own individual like physical object. And so that led to the development of the album as an art form for albums that had clear sonic structures to them clear pacing or even like narratives or like themes but you have this sort of art form that developed around the medium and then the medium sort of went away and so i think when people say the album is still important they're saying that the art form is still important yeah but there's also this other thing this distribution medium and i think it's worth noting that not every distributional album is sort of an artistic album in that sense like one artist i don't know if i mentioned this on the podcast but one artist i've listened to a lot is jackson brown i don't know if that's come up never never but, heard um, of him <laughs> and i think if you look at jackson brown's career like there's very clear eras to it right there's like his early stuff and like saturate before using for every man all that stuff and then you sort of get to the political era in the middle and then it sort of goes somewhere different but i don't think that like for the most part, a lot of his albums really 
I guess, I don't want to say stand up as albums. There's an interview uh, the with him around, I think it was around Naked Ride Home, somewhere in that era, uh, where the, the interviewer was saying like, oh, you're a really prolific songwriter. This album has 10 songs on it, but how many did you really write for it? And he's like, oh, I, I wrote 10. And that was sort of, I think, a lot of how he approached this stuff was he would write 10 songs and release those 10 songs as an album and then move on. And so you get these weird things like, shape of a heart on like world in motion which is shape of a heart's a good song it doesn't really fit the theme but that was a song he wrote for that album and so it was there hey future Corey here quick correction in the shape of a heart is actually on lives in the balance the example off world in motion is probably chasing you into the light anyway back to your previously scheduled podcast i think you could make like a more cohesive political album of jackson brown songs if you let yourself take the stuff, the the good political stuff off World in Motion, and then bring in like Lives in the Balance and Information Wars and stuff like that and build your own album. And that's effectively what making like a mixtape or a playlist is. And those I think are really useful too, as a sort of way of thinking about the value of albums is people sort of transforming, effectively creating their own album frameworks out of other people's music. I think what you're talking about with different kinds of albums is is incredibly true. And I think it's something people kind of take for granted. And I think a lot of the time, a lot of the time, even like criticisms of top 40 pop or something like that come when people look at an album by someone like Britney Spears or someone like that. Like there was a lot of criticism of her and that is not trying to accomplish the same thing as an album by Led Zeppelin. But I think another thing that's interesting is I was, I was actually talking with someone about this the other day with albums too, is like, Jazz albums historically are are something very different as well. Like historically jazz albums, a lot of the time, like John Coltrane had a like two week period where he cut four albums because they just go in, record a bunch of takes of uh, of a bunch of songs. And then afterwards, they're just kind of thrown together and packaged on an album. So the album can be a lot of different things. I think generally what we're talking about here, uh, like you were saying, is the album as the cultural artistic object. And that's something that I actually talk about a little in my Frank Sinatra video, where I kind of point to In the Wee Small Hours as the birth of the album in the way that we think of the album. Yeah. The single, like 40 minute, two-sided LP record. Even when we advanced beyond like vinyl records as a technology, all of the people making albums that went to CD in the 90s, even people making albums that go straight to streaming now are influenced by artists who made stuff under the constraints of the medium of the vinyl record. To say that because the vinyl record is, I mean, I still love vinyl and a lot of people do, but because it's not necessary, the album is irrelevant, is kind of like saying that because we shoot on digital now and because we have digital projectors movies shouldn't be around 2 hours because everything about the medium of film as an art form and and our idea of the feature film as being like a 2 hour thing that was all adapted very much from the technological constraints and technology and art have always been in conversation with each other i totally agree and i also somewhat disagree which is a very annoying sentence to say out loud. The thing that comes to mind for me is sonata form. 
anyone who has gone to music school will be familiar with sonata form. It gets drilled into our brains, even though it's not all that relevant anymore. But, it's, you know, we have like exposition, development, recapitulation, the specific structure of musical ideas that you would use in the writing of a sonata, which would often be the first movement of a larger piece. And so when I hear like, is the album as a format, as a form relevant anymore? It sort of makes me think of like, well, is is sonata form relevant anymore? Well, it's it's great if you're making a sonata. It's not as useful if you're doing an etude or a motet. In the same way, the album is great if what you're trying to make is an album. I think that format is still viable. It's still solid. It makes good art. But I also think it's worth recognizing that because of changes in technology, we have access to other models that may or may not have been really plausible back in the days where the album was, again, the most convenient way of distributing music. And now it's not. Like The most convenient way is to upload to Spotify. And so you have this different framework and limitations of technology will breed creativity and will foster certain approaches to art. But I think that it's a mistake. And I don't think you're saying this, but I think that I hear people say this, but I think it's a mistake to assume that the previous limitations of the previous technologies are the better ones that will lead to better art. I agree with that, and I don't think it's necessarily better. I think if you want to see kind of stuff that's... It got very big this year, actually, and it's technically an album, but kind of breaks the album form. Something like Everywhere at the End of Time is a really interesting way that you can see modern musicians breaking free from the album form. But by the same measure, I think that everywhere at the end of time is working outside of kind of, again, we've used this phrase a lot. Eventually, I'm going to stop clarifying, but I'm going to say <laughs> um, like Western pop art music, which to be clear, doesn't just mean top 40 pop. It encompasses top 40 pop, but it basically means like music outside of classical. Yeah, anything even remotely blues influenced. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The mode that is best suited to that music is the album because that is the mode through which it has developed. Similar to the way that like generally our idea of how long a song should be is still actually very much defined by 45-inch records. Our idea of songs, like your average song being three to five minutes, and yes, it's expanded outwards, and yes, Pink Floyd exists, and things like that, but at the end of the day, most songs in rock, in hip-hop, in R&B, most songs in these genres are going along and are created in this form that was tied to the 45 inch, uh, not 45 inch, the seven inch 45 <laughs> RPM yeah. record. Yeah, the 45 inch record. Very large record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've got a collection of 45 inch records in my warehouse. <laughs> it's a small collection. I think another aspect of this um, is that the role that the album serves is that it allows artists to make singular aesthetic statements. And I think this is why album artwork is intrinsically tied to music. It is it is so closely tied. It is basically inseparable from a lot of music, especially a lot of kind of big, popular, critically acclaimed music, big label music. The artwork is kind of this aesthetic statement that defines that this is who this artist is going to be. This is what this artist represents for the next couple months or nowadays couple years of their career and i think that that serves 
a lot a lot of really important purposes. I think that that makes it easier for us to uh, like break down an artist's career. It allows us to see what changes an artist is going through from year to year. And I think it also allows us to look back historically and be like, oh, this album captures the zeitgeist of what was going on in the fall of 2020 or something like that. And what's really interesting to me is that I would argue that I I think a lot of people fawn over, oh, the death of the album and stuff like that. I would argue that most of the most acclaimed, most celebrated artists right now are actually making albums like the album has come back. It was more dead in kind of the early 2000s and maybe even the early 2010s. But by now, like you look at Beyonce, Beyonce, like the the turning point of her career was the self-titled album and then Lemonade, which are very much like albums in the traditional sense. You look at Taylor Swift. Every time Taylor Swift releases an album, it's a new aesthetic. It's a new Taylor Swift. It dominates the cultural conversation. And it's kind of Taylor Swift, I always find, is kind of a bell curve of where the millennial generation's at (laughs) uh, from album to album. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point that I wanted to bring up at one point and you beat me to it. And now I'm going to say it anyway so that I look smart. But (laughs) partly the way that albums serve as a sort of point of delineation within an artist's sort of timeline is important. But also, I think just albums serving as an event, right? Yes. Often sort of the idea as sort of to replace the album is, you know, instead of doing an album of 12 songs every year, do like one song a month and you get these constant little drops. And so you're constantly sort of staying kind of relevant. But then you never get that like, oh, my God, this artist put out a new album. Like, for instance, you know, people were telling me like, oh, there's like a new clipping album out. I'm going to go check that out. But at some point, if there's a new clipping song every month, it's sort of harder to get excited each month. Although uh, as I say that as a counterpoint, you know, the work you and I do is very much based on sort of releasing small things consistently. Like we're not we're not putting out a documentary every year or anything. And so I think there is an argument to be made for building that sort of consistency as opposed to building those sorts of events. It's a different framework. It's not necessarily, I think, better or worse. I think the thing about music, though, is music has popular music has always kind of lived and died by conversation and hype cycles, by people talking about it, by people getting excited about it, by people theorizing about it. And the album lends itself so, so well to that. I mean, every year you see album of the year, you do not see the same kind of, I mean, there's, There are definitely discussions of songs of the year, but I know personally, at least in my feed, the big discussions at the end of each year are album of the year, not song of the year. And I think it's really interesting. I think I've been playing around with this question in my head a lot, and this kind of plays into it, which is what is the like default mode for music to engage with music? Because because like I think you could easily say the default mode for film is the feature film even though there are even though there are short films there are what we do that's technically film i guess yeah. um you could I, say yeah. The, it's yeah on film yeah <laughs> the well not tech you know what i mean yeah <laughs> music is interesting because i think there's two i think this there is the song but i think the album is really how we tend to engage with artists we i don't know about you but whenever i'm just like talking with friends about music if i'm like nerding out with my friend about bob dylan 
we frame it in terms of albums and we frame it in terms of albums and then talk about specific moments from the albums kind of in the way that if you're talking about a director, if you're talking about Spielberg, you'd bring up Indiana Jones and then bring up certain sequences in Indiana Jones. Yeah. And I think that that's really, really important for the existence of music or at least popular music. I think popular music relies on hype cycles. It relies on people talking about it. So there's one thing you said there that I think is crucial and I want to highlight because about halfway through that, you transitioned from a question of how we engage with music to how we engage with artists. Mm. And I think those are different things. If I want to talk again, Jackson Brown, just to use an easy example, like I might throw out specific songs, but I'm I'm just going to I'm often going to talk about an album, I'm going to talk about World in Motion or whatever. But if I want to talk about, you know, rock music. I'm not necessarily as likely to pull out the Jimi Hendrix experience, Are You Experienced, as I am to pull out Purple Haze, right? This is true. That's a really good point. The general interaction of music, I think for a lot of people, is in many ways defined, or has been previously, historically, defined by radio. And radio is playing singles. In that sort of engagement, I think the single becomes, the song becomes the fundamental unit, and the album becomes a collection of songs, whereas when I want to engage with a specific artist, I think the album is a better framework and the song becomes a way to express that album. It's something that has ebbed and flowed a lot throughout history, because I think a lot of people kind of take albums uh, as as granted as like, oh, I'm going to get into, I'm going to get into an artist. Again, talking about artists, like, what album should I listen to? That's the go-to question. Yeah. There was a distinct shift where through the emergence of pop music, through the emergence of rock and roll in the 50s and early 60s, the album was nothing. It was all about singles. Um, 45 sold better. Everyone talked about singles. And then there'd be all of these things where like people would just kind of release singles all of the time and then smash them together on an album that they've released a couple times a year. And if you really want to trace the kind of evolution of the album as the medium the bellwether for that is the beatles getting into the beatles discography is very weird and confusing because for the first half of their career they had different releases in the uk and america and not just like oh the cover artwork was different or stuff like that like fundamentally different albums because there were all these just these collections of songs these compilations of singles and whoever was in charge of distributing them chose which would appeal best to those markets but then throughout the Beatles career what happened was the Beatles helped create this idea of album oriented rock probably kind of rubber soul onwards Sgt. Pepper is a yeah. real point and this is not to say they were the only ones doing it the Beach Boys were doing it it was a whole thing but from that point onwards Basically, I think you can delineate from Sgt. Pepper onwards, albums were the main mode that people related to music. And I think we forget that for a long time in the late 60s through the 70s, album radio was very much a thing. Radio stations would regularly play album sides and discuss album sides. And that's what ended up developing things like Pink Floyd and all of progressive rock as a genre and things like that was was there were these radio shows it started in kind of like late night college radio stations but then it 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 spread outwards where they would just put on an entire record side and i think that again like we were talking about this kind of interplay of technology yeah kind of to steer it a little back to albums and technology in the modern age 
I think something that even without needing like the technology of the vinyl and even without these distribution methods, the album today is still an event in the same way that it became an event during the era of album oriented rock because of the concept of the album drop. The concept of the album drop is very important. And I think another turning point historically with that is the release of Beyonce self-titled where Beyonce just dropped a surprise album. And I think that 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 is something that is fundamentally a very modern thing. And that is adapting the album to the digital era because, you know, and, and I mean, Taylor Swift did it this year with Evermore. Yeah. The day before I released a video about her. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was a personal spite to you. <laughs> but but I think the album drop is this monumental thing where the world suddenly talks about and shares shares the experience of listening to all of this new music at the same time. And I think there's something really cool about listening to that digitally that is unique to the album and unique to the digital experience. Like, I know whenever an album drops... I love going on Twitter and seeing people highlight different songs, talk about this different stuff all in unison. And I think the album is very necessary for that. That reminds me of a thing that I was seeing in this discussion that felt like a really useful analogy here, which is seasons of television. Mm. If you look at the way that television is often done now, it's done as effectively season drops, right? Yeah. On a lot of streaming services, they'll just like release the new Stranger Things or whatever. And what you see most of the time is that that becomes a huge cultural conversation for a couple weeks and then everyone moves on. Whereas if you look at something like Game of Thrones, The Mandalorian, these shows that are releasing week after week, you get this slower, more sustained burn where it sort of stays in the public consciousness for a lot longer. I don't know that the the analogy is perfect because I think one of the important things is that an episode of television is... 45 minutes or so to an hour. It's long. Whereas if I release like a four minute song, everyone listens to it, talks about it, that that sort of gets digested a lot more quickly. And, you know, it, it has other components as well. Like if you look at the way a lot of like Netflix shows structure themselves, they have a really strong opening, a really strong closing. And then in the middle, it's just sort of the assumption is you're going to be binging the whole thing. And so the middle episodes kind of meander a bit because it doesn't really matter. As long as they start strong and end strong, those are the things you're going to be thinking about. And in the same way, like if you look at a lot of things that are released as albums, a lot of times there are songs that feel like they're there just to pad the album. Yeah. Not to like throw anyone under the bus or anything. But I recently had an experience where I remembered really liking a lot of the stuff off Lady Gaga's The Fame. I remembered really enjoying that. And so I was like, I'm just going to go listen to the entire album. And I'm going to be very careful in how I phrase this. But even without remembering the cultural context of the time, even without having heard this back then, it would have been crystal clear which songs on that album had been released as singles. Yeah. And I think that that's a thing that often gets held up by these sorts of crowds that are saying we don't need albums anymore is those sorts of like they'll put like five singles and then five extra songs that they didn't put as much work into or that they may not have been not as much work it may have been something that the artist really liked but they knew wouldn't sell and so that's that has value but i think that a non-trivial number of albums are padded around the edges just to get them to 10 or 12 songs or whatever they need to be to sort of get people to pay more money for you know i have two thoughts on this First, the length of albums as a medium, because I have a lot of thoughts on that. And second, the value of 
the album track, which would be lost in a world without albums. Which which of those piques your fancy first? I think the album track, just because it's the thing that I was talking about at near the end of that instead of in the middle, and we can sort of circle back. Not every song can be a single, and not every song should be a single. And I think that that's something that the album allows for. The album allows for a release that builds the hype cycle with big singles and actually kind of like likes stretching out the uh, the release cycle. Usually there's a lead single. Usually there's a single that comes when the album drops and one or two after along with music videos. And that that kind of extends the hype cycle. But I think even with those, I think there are a ton of songs that should not be singles that are not catchy enough to be singles, that are too long to be singles, that are too short to be singles. There's all these things that would just get kind of lost in the ether if they weren't dropped as part of an album. I think an example of this might be something like I Love Kanye on The Life of Pablo is one of my favorite Kanye songs. If that's just released as a song, it disappears into the ether. Another one that I love, probably my favorite Bruce Springsteen song is Night on Born to Run. Night doesn't actually really say anything that Thunder Road or the title track don't say better if or, or louder, but I personally <laughs> I personally love Night. And I think the thing is, if Springsteen had released those over a while, Night would have just like no one would talk about Night. No one would talk about these album cuts. But instead, because they're part of this album, and Springsteen especially, Springsteen has what's called the four corners approach. He doesn't even think just in terms of the album. He thought in terms of album sides. You can look at basically any of Springsteen's albums, especially any of the good ones. The first song on each side will be this kind of like triumphant kick in the door type thing. And the last song on each side will be kind of this mellow, pensive, reflective thing. Born to Run, the first song is Thunder Road. The last yeah. song on the first side is Backstreets. You flip the record over, you get Born to Run, and then you end on Jungle Land. And that kind of sequencing is something that you can only do with the album that brings you through this emotional journey. And I think album tracks are very essential to, to creating this emotional journey, even if they're not released as singles, even if they don't have that same punch. And I think a lot of album tracks, like I said, would just get lost or forgotten about. And honestly, there's so many great album tracks. The Beatles had so many good, weird album tracks. Lovely Rita is this beautiful psychedelic soundscape that is not at all a single. But it's a great song. It's buried right where, like, I think I think it's like right in the middle of the second side, right where you should bury your weird, cool album tracks. So I'd push back a little on the idea that the things that we consider album tracks, or at least the songs that are good that we consider album tracks, couldn't work as singles. Uh, because again, I'm going to complicate definitions because that's, that's who I am. It's what I do. I'm a music theorist. <laughs> I think... That that is true if we assume that the goal of a single is to build hype and promote for an album. So the example I would draw to is Jonathan Colton's song A Week, which is roughly what it sounds like. I think for a year, he just released a song every week and built quite an audience. Like I think that was my recollection is that that's roughly how he broke into like the 
I, not mainstream, but you know, Jonathan Colton levels of fame. The songs that sort of last aren't necessarily ones that were sort of positioned and he had handpicked to be like, this is the one that's going to stand the test of time. Like Re Your Brains, for instance, like that one, I believe that was during Song Week. I know Code Monkey was, but these songs that happened to, to hit like what people were interested in and weren't necessarily, you look at them, they're not necessarily the ones you would think are singles in the traditional sense because they're not effective at building hype for the album or but there is no album it's just him releasing a song every week i think that that model can work if you have a different set of goals right and so i think that if your goal is promoting an album then a lot of the things a lot of these songs just don't work as singles but if you're just putting a song out there to be experienced and i should note that this isn't true of all songs or all album cuts either like a very obvious example would be like Interlude 2 from Splendor and Misery, right? Yes. Like you couldn't release Interlude 2 as anything but the middle of Splendor and Misery. There's a lot, a lot of albums have little interludes and things like that that exist to serve the album. And that like, how often do you listen to Interlude 2 on its own? I think I've done it once because I was trying to figure out what the numbers were. And how often do you listen to Interlude 2, period? Uh relatively often much more often yeah yeah because you listen much more frequently (laughs) yeah because you listen to the album and i think i think i think interludes are a a great example of this but also kind of not not super fair yeah but i would also say i'm just looking now and dancing days by led zeppelin dancing days is a good song it's not a bad song i never listen to dancing days on its own but Houses of the Holy is my favorite Led Zeppelin album. And when I play it and Dancing Days comes on, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great. I really enjoy that song. I think that's kind of the purpose that an album cut can have. The album cut allows you to have this kind of flow where actually also on Houses of the Holy, I would say that I probably almost never listen to any of the first three songs on Houses of the Holy on their own, except maybe Rain Song. But the number of times that I have listened to that first side, that run of Song Remains the Same, Rain Song, Over the Hills and Far Away, and then Into the Crunch, I have listened to that side possibly, in my life, possibly more than anything else as an album side. And I think another album that I've been doing that a lot with lately this year is Run the Jewels 4, the new Run the Jewels album. Yeah. Uh, they've got all of these songs like Never Look Back or uh, Holy Calamifuck or um, all of these songs that I probably wouldn't put up on their own. But in the flow of the album, I listen to they've got great bars, great beats, and I love them as part of an album. And I think that that's something that album cuts can also exist, not just as things that couldn't exist on singles, but as singles, but just as something that helps the flow of an album. And I think something that a lot of really good album cuts do is they serve to underline and highlight the power of the singles. And I think when you're kind of exploring this theme throughout an album, if it's present in these album cuts, it makes the singles that much better. And the singles draw you there for the album cut. So I think that there's a real symbiosis there between album cuts and b-sides and things like that and the big hot singles i would agree i think that one of the things the album format does is allow for pacing in a way that 
just a random set of singles doesn't. One thing that I I think is really interesting about the modern age and also recent non-modern ages is this tendency that you see a lot to sort of recreate that without pre-existing album track lists. Like, yes, that's a really complicated way of saying playlists. I could have just said playlists, but uh, but you have this this tendency to sort of, you know, if you're making a good playlist, it has a rise and a fall to it. And similarly, like if we go back like mixtapes, mix CDs, like, yeah, these are things that became a huge part of culture is basically as soon as they were possible, because I think people do value that sort of pacing. But I think it also demonstrates that the album as an object, as sort of a artistic vision expressed through a specific set list isn't necessary in order to accomplish that. I agree that is that it isn't necessary. I would also say it isn't necessary that I put cheese on my hamburger for it to be a hamburger, but it's a lot better with cheese. <laughs> so I'm not even necessarily sure that I would agree that sort of custom made playlists are worse. I don't necessarily think they're worse. I think they can be worse. Yeah. I think they can also be better. I I have no issue with playlists. I love playlists. And honestly, the medium that I listen to music most often in is playlists. I love building playlists. Uh, But I don't think that 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 negates the value of the album. No. No, no. I, I, I don't think it does either. But I sort of when I look at like one of my favorite artists, like Rob Zombie, and I think, like, what's what's the best Rob Zombie album, right? I think there are two arguable contenders, but I think the real answer is a combination of Hellbilly Deluxe, The Sinister Urge, and Hellbilly Deluxe 2, where you just take the best songs and put them in a new order. I think it would be not that hard to make a better album than any of those three if you were allowed to combine all three of them, because all of them, not so much Sinister Urge. Sinister Urge doesn't have any songs that I don't like, uh, but, like, and I none of... Hellbilly has some songs I just don't like. But anyway, that's not important. But the the point is, like, I think you can craft that same sort of thing. And I think there's there's a desire for that pacing. The thing that I keep coming back to is that I think that when there's this sort of space between the idea that albums aren't necessary and the idea that albums aren't useful. And I think that that space is where my my view lies. There's a lot of arguments to be made for the album as a form. I am not con- contradicting that. I strongly yeah. believe that the album is a useful form for constructing a larger scale musical experience. But I also think that the song is. And I think that a lot of my work focuses more on individual songs because a lot of the time that's how I will... Less so these days. These days I am listening more to albums, but like especially like back back in my like teenage years and whatnot, I was very much just like, you know, take the songs, put them in iTunes, put it on shuffle, listen to them in whatever order, and maybe make some playlists of stuff that like had specific whatevers. And like, I think that's a valid way to go about crafting a musical experience. I think an, an example that I want to use that's actually really interesting for this is Queen. They're, they're a little underground band. You might yeah. have heard of them. Hmm. My favorite Queen album is Queen 2. If we're talking as an album, do you know how many of my favorite Queen songs are on Queen 2? Zero. Not a goddamn (laughs) one. Uh, Every one of my favorite Queen songs is on other Queen albums, but Queen 2 
as an album is this cohesive thing. It's got it's got this cool theme going on with the like kind of like white side and dark side. It's got all this fantasy stuff going on. It's really this fantastic album. But also, like, I would say most people who aren't like Queen fans probably might recognize one song off Queen 2. They might recognize Seven Seas of Rye. But even that is kind of a deeper pull than than some of their like big monumental stuff. But yeah. Queen 2... I mean, Seven Seas of Rye is one of my favorite yeah, Queen uh, songs. Yeah, so. I mean, it's a great song. But Queen 2, as an album, just functions so well. And I think that that's, I think that's the value of the album. And I, I mean, I think there's also value of values of albums with great singles and a ton of great singles on them. But I think the album, as an artistic statement, will always be relevant because of the way that you can use songs in like coherently with each other to create an image queen two creates this kind of fantastical mood but i think a lot of albums a lot of albums have a specific a specific mood i mean wish you were here uh has which is probably possibly my favorite album wish you were here is like half one song like (laughs) well pink floyd are, are the argument for why uh why songs are irrelevant and the album is the only <laughs> necessary form. <laughs> this comes to me back to sort of like the Sonata form example, where it's just like, I think that there is a lot to be done with the album. I think that it is worth acknowledging that there is a lot to be done outside of the album too. I agree with that. Yeah. And something that I wanna, I've been wanting to mention here is actually More Life uh, by Drake. So in 2017, Drake released an album, question mark, called More Life, but it's not released as an album. It's released as a playlist, but it was a whole, cur- it was a collection of a bunch of songs, way too many songs, like every Drake album. They're very bloated, <laughs> but he didn't release it as an album. He released it as a playlist, and I think that changed the way that I listened to it. When you tell me to, that that something's a playlist, I'm way more likely to just pick a song I like in the middle and go from there. I don't think there's a necessary like start or end or things like that. But when you tell me something is an album, you're telling me that there is a sequenced kind of emotional and sometimes literal narrative to the album. I, I think kind of we agree to some extent here in that yeah. The album is not obsolete, but the album is also not the be all end all. And what I'm excited to see is how the album is shifting in the digital age. I think a great example of someone using the medium of the album, specifically the album, with acknowledgement of how it works in the digital age is Damn by Kendrick Lamar. Because Damn was sequenced so that you could listen to it like the track list forward and it would say one thing. And if you listen to the track list backwards, it would say a different thing or it would say it'd be a different perspective on the same thing. And I think that it was carefully sequenced to have flows both ways. And that's something that you could not do when you were confined to physical medium. It's not like you can like release a vinyl record and tell people to drop the needle from the middle and hope it plays outwards. (laughs) <laughs> but in the digital world, it's very easy. It'll take you 30 seconds 
to drag all of those songs into a playlist in the opposite order. And that's the kind of stuff where I don't think streaming and the album should be seen as intrinsically at odds. I think they can be no. streaming can be used to augment the album. Yeah. And one thing that I think we touched on earlier that I sort of want to circle back to because I think it's really important is that the album can be a really effective introduction to an artist. Yes. Right? If I tell you like, oh, you need to check out Taylor Swift and you somehow haven't heard of her and you're just like, well, what song should I listen to? And it's like, well, you, you listen to Blank Space, but like, then what? Yeah. And so, but if I tell you like, go listen to 1989, then you get a much more broad understanding of at least where she is as an artist at that time, because, you know, it's not all that same thing, but there's more. And, and this, I think, comes back to the length thing that we were sort of touching on earlier as well. The sort of like when I tell you to watch like an episode of a TV show, one 45 minute episode is going to give you a good sense of what that show is, unless you grab like a really like specific one, like the body from Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something. Yeah. That's not going to give you a perfect impression of what that show as a whole is because it's very, very thematic. But like for the most part, if you watch like the first episode of a TV show, it'll give you a sense of what the season is like. I think if you listen to one song off an album, it doesn't really. Yeah, I think something that is kind of starting to replace albums as an endpoint, specifically on Spotify is like the this is... Like the This Is Taylor Swift playlist. Yeah. I have various thoughts on those. Mainly, I have gripes against the Louis Armstrong one, because how can you say this is Louis Armstrong and not include Tiger Reg in it? <laughs> that's a whole other that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah. I think another thing that kind of building on this is albums are a gr great way at pointing to at showing somebody a specific period in someone's career. Because albums are kind of this this watermark of where they were. Like, if someone wanted to get into Bob Dylan, I would definitely tell them albums. But I would say, well, what Bob Dylan do you want to get into? Yeah. Uh, do you want to get into crazy psychedelic Bob Dylan? Do you want to get into political folk Bob Dylan? Do you want to get into depressed post-divorce Bob Dylan? Like, all of these things, there is an album to to show people and and i think that's something that al albums allow us to de delineate the changes in an artist's career because unless you're acdc artists are not a monolith <laughs> artists can and should continue to change and i think if they were only releasing songs you could see that change if you listen to one song and a song from 10 years earlier but you don't have these kind of clear points to look at eras in an artist an album is something bigger than just the physical release of the album because like welcome to the black parade the music video for that is as much a part of the black parade album as any of the songs on it that album is is about my chemical romance inhabiting this whole aesthetic persona that defined the fashion sense of everyone I knew for three years. <laughs> yep. Um, and I think that's something, another thing about albums with getting into an artist. When you're getting into an artist, you're not actually just getting into their sound. You're getting into who they are, what they represent, where they fit historically, what their aesthetic is. There's, there's all of this stuff around the sound. And I think the album serves to kind of 
flag all of that and draw attention to it and be like, look, this is this is who the band is in 1973 or whatever. Yeah. To come back to the because I think the point you were making about the Louis Armstrong playlist is, I think, really important. These like this is playlists or even like like a mix that your friend makes you or whatever. Like if you were to ask me for like the best Jackson Brown songs or whatever, I could put together an album that I would like better than any Jackson Brown album. I'd probably put together two, one of the personal stuff, one of the political stuff, but that's not the point. I could put together something that showed you very clearly what Jackson Brown meant to me. But I think what the album does is it lets Jackson Brown tell you what he means to himself and what his work means to him in a way that these sorts of other curated playlists can't because, you know, maybe maybe in someone's mind, like, Tiger Rag doesn't belong on the Louis Armstrong playlist, but like... You know, you clearly disagree. And so if you were to build that playlist, you would put something different. And maybe like someone comes along and that's not really an important part of the Louis Armstrong experience to them. The the point I'm making is that like anytime you have one of these curated, like not just like a random algorithmically generated anything, anytime it's curated by a human, it reflects that human's experience of the artist. Because I mean, broadly, I don't put a lot of stake in artistic intent in my analysis and whatnot. And so I don't think the album is necessarily the only reasonable way to represent an artist. But it is a sort of privileged one because it's the one that the artist chose. It's the one that they said, this is this is how this music fits together. And I can come along and disagree and present an opposite, an alternate viewpoint, but there's still value in knowing what they wanted it to be. I think there's also value in disagreeing and having something to disagree yeah. to. Like one of my favorite experiments is redoing the track list for Let It Be by the Beatles, because I, I might have even said this on here. Get Back is the greatest album opener that doesn't open an album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get get Back is the last song. Also, The Long and Winding Road is the greatest album closer that doesn't close an album. <laughs> the sequencing of that album is almost feels like they're f***ing trolling. Um, <laughs> so I went recently and listened to Who's Next, uh, the Who album. Yep, yep. And I was listening to it and I had heard all of these songs so many times, like often in order, like, like and I was like, I was like, yes, this song, yes, this song, this song. Oh, I love this one. And then my wife comes on and I just pause and like, what is this? <laughs> and it turns out that what happened is that my dad didn't like the song. And so when he ripped the album to his computer, he deleted it. That's hilarious. And so all of my experiences with Who's Next don't have this one song. And honestly, I think he was right. <laughs> but... It was a super weird experience to hear this and be like, that's not that doesn't belong on who's next. And clearly it's on who's next. But because I have this association of the version I heard from my dad, it doesn't feel right. And the song doesn't feel like it fits. And honestly, like I said, I don't think it holds up to a lot of the standard of quality that the, that the rest of the album exists at. I might get in trouble for that. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Are there any huge like my wife fans out there? <laughs> Borat? Oh, yeah. That, uh, yeah. Yeah. My life joke. <laughs> Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, no, it's it's, <laughs> it's timely. It's relevant. Uh, the experience of that album, again, I, I sort of got a curated version from my dad that gives me a better understanding, not of who the who was at the time, but of who my dad wanted them to be. And I think that that is a really valuable insight that playlists and mixtapes and whatnot can give you as well. 
to use another metaphor from another kind of or another simile, I guess, another comparison from another kind of uh, art, I think in a lot of ways, like playlists and things like that are are kind of fan fiction in a sense. And I think fan fiction is awesome. I think I, I, I personally don't really read much of it. But I know it's a really important thing for a lot of people and it's very fulfilling and like and it's kind of just like like building a playlist is like dreaming up. What if Darth Maul and Kylo Ren had a lightsaber fight together, (laughs) you know, and and I think that I think that that's really cool and really valuable. But I also think it's cool and valuable to have Star Wars to watch, um, to have this kind of like you said, in the artist's own words, because my, my take on uh artistic intent is it fundamentally doesn't mean any profound truth but it is fun as hell to probe into and it's really fun to speculate on artistic intent and i think albums really allow you to do that and allow you to look at like something like blood on the tracks uh which i kind of jokingly referred to a little later is dylan's divorce album it's a hundred percent just like songs that Dylan wrote as he was going through his divorce and that comes through in the album and it's really cool to listen to an album that is all of these songs that are the same kind of statement about his divorce and about how miserable he is (laughs) yeah I think the fan fiction analogy is really interesting because it's not quite perfect right yeah because I think you know when we talk about like if Darth Maul had a lightsaber fight with Kylo Ren, I can write that. I'm not going to. That's not really my thing. But like, I could. That I could put words in whatever order. But like here, it's sort of like, if you had to make a Star Wars fan fiction movie using clips from yes. the original movies, because you're finding a way to tell your story with the things someone else has made. And that's not a criticism. That's, I think, a really interesting sort of we were talking before about how sort of technological restrictions can lead to like creativity and like artistic forms. And I think that sort of structural restrictions can too. Like I can't go out there and record a new Led Zeppelin song, but I can figure out which Led Zeppelin songs I would put in which order to make my perfect album, which would be stairway and then immigrant song. And that's basically it. But, uh, (laughs) no, that that's not entirely fair, but I think something that I want to, bring in here kind of I think we're getting close to the end but to tie in playlists to albums is the way that I think a lot of the best playlists kind of fit the trends created by albums a lot of the best playlists are are kind of doing the album thing like you said earlier they've got the ebb and the flow they'll you'll yeah. usually try to kick them off with a bang and and i think that that speaks to the way that the album i i don't think it's i don't think it's like intrinsic but i think it's learned behavior that we like to listen to music in the way albums work even if they're even if it's playlists full of a bunch of songs from different artists we kind of treat them like an album and and even set lists set lists work yeah. like albums albums and set lists are are two sides of the same coin the only difference is one of them is generally longer yeah i was also just going to quickly say another thing that i wanted to mention quickly with the album thing is 
not not right now because the world is hell, but another big thing that an album is very closely tied to is tours. And experiencing music live is a big part of the experience. The cycle of release an album, take that album on tour, um, even if it is like created purely for by monetary motivations, I think that's still a really important cool way of sharing music with the world and experiencing music and often the tour tour will also lean into what i was talking about earlier with the aesthetic statement with the clothes they wear the way they build their stage all the posters all of that stuff yeah i think this is going to be one of the first times on this podcast that i just like kind of fundamentally disagree with you uh with respect (laughs) but i think that i kind of view the intrinsic connection of tours and albums as maybe not great i mean i think having a having a reason to tour is good but i think what winds up happening a lot of the times is sort of when you go see someone live a lot of what you're looking for is songs you know and love like not not exclusively but there's, there's if you go see I mean, not not that Led Zeppelin is touring anymore, but if you go see them, you're expecting Stairway at some point. Yeah. And like in those sorts of you're expecting the hits, but the the tour is to promote the album, which is all the new stuff that you may not have heard yet. And some of it's good, some of it's not. But I think having separating those two, having not necessarily even having them as like not doing albums or whatever, but just having separating those two and doing tours and doing live performances and live shows in ways where you can craft it without a promotional need without needing to try and like cram in all these songs from the album that like in order to make it work and you can build the set list that works for what you're trying to do and may include some old stuff may include some new stuff but letting go of that marketing restriction i think allows artists to be a bit more creative and interesting with their set list choices than having to go and promote an album and i think that if you were, for instance, to switch to a, you know, like release a song a month model, which is not necessarily what everyone should yeah. do. If you were to switch to that model, you could still tour once a year and do some of the songs from that that you really liked or that were big hits and do some of the old stuff. But there's not like we need to do all of this to get people hyped about this specific big release, because if they don't buy this album, then all of the work we did on it is useless. You know, I think it depends. I don't think every tour is like this, but I think. I think the best tours are the ones that immerse you in the new album. And yeah, sure, a lot of the time they'll play old songs and stuff, but show you that there are, I can count a ton of times where I've been like, not that into a new album or a new song. And then I see it live and I'm like, oh my God, I get it now. That That's something where everything now, yeah. everything now by Arcade Fire, I was not very fond of that album. And then I saw them touring that album and saw everything they were doing with that album aesthetically on the tour. And it it kind of floored me. Arcade Fire are really good for this. I mean, the Reflector yeah. tour was also incredible for this. Again, the penultimate example of this, like, or the ultimate example of this would be The Wall by Pink Floyd, right? Where, oh, yeah. But that's kind of its own thing, so it's not really yeah, fair. The, the Wall is The Wall. Yeah, it's not right? really fair to bring that in. I think that sort of hits on a, a point that I sort of, I think have been repeating in different guises this entire time, is that, like, I agree that the best tours do that, but how many tours do that, right? Like, what is what is the ratio of tours that fit this idealized version of a tour for an album 
versus ones that are just, you know, we play some of the hits and then we play some of the album cuts to try and get you excited for the album and try and push these songs on you. And like, how, what is the ratio of people who are doing the thing that would make this worthwhile to people who are doing a different thing? I would, I, I don't know what that ratio is. I mean, yeah, no, I, I'm not asking you for real numbers. But I would say that the people who do that as a thing are proportionally much higher the people who view the album as the album capital a album like this intrinsic artistic thing we're we're running a little long but there's one more thought on the albums that i really want to squeeze in but maybe it's just a topic for a whole other day (laughs) but i i really want to talk a little bit about albums as a physical medium and about the value of the album and and of the album specifically on vinyl, how it was kind of designed, because I think that there's a whole other experience to an album when you can hold the album in your hand in a way that, yes, you can hold 45s, but when you're holding a 45, it doesn't feel like you're holding the song in your hand, if that makes any sense. But when you like when I go over, I can I'm going to I'm going to turn around. And what was I listening to? I just picked up uh, Amagama or Umaguma by Pink Floyd, which was on le- lying against my f- lying on my floor, uh, if I'm g- being completely honest. But <laughs> it feels it physically feels like I'm holding the album in my hand. And when I put it on, there's a ritual of engaging with the album. And I think that that's again. I don't think that's necessarily the best way. I don't think it's the only way, but I think it is an important way to engage with music. And I think that the medium of the album is designed for vinyl records. And I think that when you when you listen to vinyl, there is an experience of listening to the album that has a lot of value, even if we don't need vinyl technology anymore. It's weird because I just have never had that experience i don't interact with a lot of vinyl honestly like but i you know my my dad had a vinyl collection my grandparents had vinyl collections and it's just never really felt particularly special to me if that makes sense like it just it hasn't felt and that's not to say that you're wrong i want to be clear like my lack of having this experience doesn't invalidate your having this experience but i think that sort of may explain some of our sort of different higher level views on this is that I am sort of coming from a place where that just yeah it's a thing that I accept and I believe but I can't really imagine what what that means to someone for whom that is meaningful I think what we're kind of saying here is that art is subjective and maybe you no. should just consume it and produce it in the way that speaks out that speaks most to you. I mean, <laughs> yeah, disagree. <laughs> but disagree. Art is objective. Strongly disagree. <laughs> yeah, by and large, I think that is sort of the idea is that, you know, there's there is value in the album format. There are value in other, in other formats. Which one is right is going to depend on what the work is trying to do and what the artist is trying to do with the work. And also depends on what the audience wants to do with the work as well. And so I don't think the album is dead. I don't think the album is dying. But I do think non-album options are being born. Yes. And they're worth considering. I, I, would, I would definitely agree with that. I, I, 
don't think the album is dead or dying. If anything, I think the album is thriving more than it was 10 years ago. I would agree. I think the internet has actually, in a lot of ways, breathed new life into the, uh, yeah. into the album. But I also agree that I think that the internet has also created so many new modes of releasing music. And I think I do not blame any artist that doesn't want to do an album. And I'm, I'm excited to see how streaming as a medium shapes music because you know damn well it will. Music and technology yep. have always, always shaped each other. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, um, Corey's wrong. I'm right. Uh, subscribe to Polyphonic. Bye. Yeah, as a <laughs> counterpoint, Noah's wrong. I'm also wrong. Everyone's wrong. There are no right answers. Subscribe to 12 Tone. <laughs> damn, that was better. <laughs> I also just want to say that when you work in music media, it's very fashionable to um have takes either like putting the album as a pedestal as the great be all end all to music and like lamenting its death or just to be like oh albums are irrelevant things like this i think a lot of this is just kind of the way music media works and just like it's the way digital media works yeah. it helps to have strong opinions about things yeah yeah people respond to strong opinions whether they agree or disagree but if you have like waffling opinions like you and i <laughs> constantly do on this podcast yeah it's a lot harder to decide whether you like are mad at me or think i'm a genius <laughs> it's it's why we're not winning any webbies anytime soon <laughs> no we can give ourselves our own webbies yes There's no rules. <laughs> any last thoughts on the album we should do a whole other thing on vinyl sometime but i'm working on a video on it so yeah probably wait till after you do that but uh but no i, th I think that's roughly my thoughts uh yeah music is good hot take music is good <laughs> music is good <laughs> albums are good and i will say if you're the sort of person that doesn't really listen to albums give it a shot try listening to some full albums and i think i think you'll find it a rewarding experience and also, if you're the sort of person that only listens to albums, make yourself some playlists. Find some playlists you like. Yeah. I think you'll find that a really rewarding experience, too. Yeah, just listen to like Pandora or something for a little bit. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been Polyphonic. You can find me. You know where to find me. I don't need to. You're 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 good. You know who I yeah. am. Pretty much pretty much anyone listening to this knows what YouTube is and how to search YouTube. So yeah, Polyphonic 12 Tone. We're also on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> oh, also, also Ghost Notes is allegedly on Twitter. It mostly exists for me to tag when I'm making fun of Noah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. And uh, we'll see you next month when we come back to talk about some some topic that we don't know yet. Maybe what is music? Well, could be. Could not be. We'll find out. Bye. <laughs>